I want to start just by telling a little bit of story, a little bit of testimony. Um, it was a, a friend of mine that I met in seminary, he ended up falling in ministry, and uh, he got out of the ministry, and he went down a really, really terrible road in life, kind of a downward spiral, um, just a real, real shameful season, just kind of just living a life of sin. And uh, he finally came to his senses, and, uh, and we had the privilege of kind of welcoming him to New York City to live with us for a season in our apartment when we lived in Harlem, not in our one-bedroom apartment. We had a three-bedroom apartment at this time when we were in Harlem. And uh, he lived with us for a season, and um, I was able to give him some jobs around the church. Just to, I kind of treated him like an intern for about a year, and, uh, and, and he didn't balk. He just kind of rose up under it. Anyways, he ended up becoming... Uh, worship worship leader on our staff in a real part time capacity and and this was a couple this was uh, goodness uh, a couple of years ago now and uh, anyways um, a crazy thing happened his attitude over time it began to sour a little bit and I had to have a hard, hard conversation with him and let him know he wasn't ready to be an elder at the church and he just kind of flew off the handle he didn't respond well at all and within like a week he talked to seven different people about his problems with my character and five of them were in our church and two of them were at a partner church and it's just like terrible drama like the kind of stuff you don't want to really deal with but he really dug his heels in and he kind of landed into at this place of where um basically he said he didn't trust me and so he's the kind of dude where it's like the top three people in your life that you ought to trust like not arrogantly but we ought to be in the top three i mean basically we gave him a shot in ministry when nobody else in the country would have i mean he Came in, he lived with us for free. I mean, just gave him a shot when he was kind of really, he'd fallen and helping restore him to ministry. This was a really difficult, I think it was one of the first real intense experiences of betrayal that I had ever felt. Of this guy that we had really gone to bat for, we had risked a lot for personally um, to help restore him to ministry. And then he was coming against us. And, uh, and, and kind of slandering me among, you know, church members. And um, it was a very, very painful, painful experience. Well, that was one experience. And in the same month, we unexpectedly got pregnant with our fourth child. Um, we, uh, we were living in a one-bedroom apartment down in lower midtown Manhattan, right up above the East Village. You know, it's not cheap, you know. And um, we had kind of stretched it as thin as we could stretch it to be living where we were, doing what we were doing. We had a curtain hanging in the living room, and our bed was on the other side of the curtain, and we'd open the curtain during the, you know, open the curtain during the day, and it would make the room feel a little bigger and close the curtain at night to make it feel like a bedroom. And, and then all the kids were in one bed, and we got pregnant. We were on birth control. So, uh, you know, the, any of you newly married, you know, counting on the 2% birth control to protect you, God can take care of birth control. He, he's far stronger than birth control. And so... So that happened in, De- in, in uh, December as well, and I, I think it's 2011 to get my dates straight, 2011. Um, well, within the same span of a month, we, uh, we had made a proposal to our denomination for funding. And I can't really give you all the backstory um, as, to, uh, as to why the decline in funding uh, leveled us the way it did. Uh, but there were about, within our denomination, there were about 16 requests uh, for, for funding. And two of the requests got zero dollars. And, and our request was one of them. A very, very dear friend of mine um, was working as a vice president of the mission organization within our denomination. Um, 
and so this felt like like another very very difficult experience of betrayal. This is like the third major kind of deal, and it's all within all within a month. And then in January, again, all within a month of kind of this December January crunch, I got sick. I got physically sick, and I was on my back for about a week. And I didn't have a room that I could go in and close the door because I'm not taking my germs into the kids' room. And so I'm laying on my bed behind the curtain and our monkeys come flying through the curtain, you know, and it's like, you know, our kids, our kids come flying through the curtain, you know, and it's, uh, that launched me into about a six-month depression. It's kind of one of those deals where, you know, like if we had an hour and I could give you the backstory about every story, you would understand the details, you would understand the context, and you would feel the gravity of each situation. But it's kind of one of those deals where each one of those situations, aside from maybe the getting sick one, each one of those, one of the, each, each of those other three scenarios were enough to kind of throw you back on your heels pretty significantly. And they all came in, in, in within a span of, of, a, of a month. And, uh, so as I, like, as I share with you, like, this, this kind of season of suffering, um, I, I just share with you, this was like, uh, so the, the depression came from January through May of 2012, last year. And uh, man, it was, it was absolutely, uh, it was just difficult. It was a dark, dark season. The numbness of the soul uh, was present. And so everything that I'm talking about this week, every, all the texts that we've been looking at, they're so relevant, they're so they're so important for us. They're so uh, powerful for us. And, and so I'm sharing with you from the authority of God's word, but I'm also sharing with you from the experience of, of walking through these truths. I shared with my small group a little earlier. I said one of the reasons why I think I'm so passionate about, one of the reasons I think I'm so passionate about, um, and I can, I, I can speak to it with such certainty about your pain not being healed in the presence of God turning into bitterness, is because I feel like I kind of experienced that. And, uh, and I just kind of observed it happening in my own soul, in my own heart, um, through, through some of those difficulties that I share with you. Um, but this pillar, this, this pillar text that we're looking at tonight uh, really drives home everything that we've been talking about in our first two sessions. And we're going to be brief tonight, but so I want you to dial in just with everything you've got and lean in with me just for a moment. But it's Romans 8. And you guys can begin to recount what's in Romans 8. And it's, Romans 8 is one of those, what, what we call, what I call a pillar passage. You know, it's kind of like, all right, if you're going to memorize five passages in all of Scripture, what five passages would you memorize? You know, Romans 8, the whole chapter would be one of those pillar passages. But even if you, if you boil it down to even just a couple of the nuggets in Romans 8, Romans 8 verse 28 is going to be one of those one of those chief nuggets. So I want you to look at it with me. You can probably quote it in your heart, many of you now. Some of you, it's probably your favorite Bible verse, Romans 8, 28. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And for me, when I'm, when I'm launching into a six-month depression after I've kind of experienced these, these crazy life experiences, that's good news right there. 
That God works all things out together for the good. But you know like the big error that we make in the church with that verse is we like to define the good on our own terms. It's like we like to start with that one verse and, you know, not read it in the context of the rest of the letter. And we just like to define what the good is. Like, this is what I define good as there. And so then we begin to believe that verse with, as though we know what the good is. And the good is whatever we've made up as the good in our... And it gets us all messed up and it gets us confused and, you know, sometimes frustrated with God when we don't really understand what is the good. What's the good... That Paul's, that Paul's writing, that he says, all things, betrayal, unexpected pregnancy, all things work together for good. Well, what's good? What is the good? Well, look at, what he, look at what he says in the following verses. He says, for those whom he foreknew, this is verse 29. And again, in verse 29, you have a four there. So he's grounding what he just said, right? So he's, it's, kinda, it, it's, it's, almost, it's almost like Paul's anticipating our response to verse 28. All things work together for good. For those, all things. All things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, how do we know that, Paul? How can you be so certain that everything's going to work together for good? Like, how do we know that, Paul? So, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son... In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I want you to wrap your eyes around this phrase just for a moment. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What that means is, is before the beginning of time, God had a plan. And his plan was that we would be conformed into the image of his son. What does that mean? That's like a mouthful, isn't it? Conformed into the image of his son. What does that mean? That means that God's purpose before the beginning of time was that you and I, his followers that our character would be made into the, the character of Christ, that our character, who we are, would be shaped toward the character of Christ. We would become like Jesus. That's what it means to be conformed into the image of his son. So how does that give us confidence that God's going to work everything together for good? How, how, does, how does this truth, that before time God planned that we would all be shaped into looking like Jesus. How does that convince us that everything's going to work together for good? Well, it can only convince us, listen to me, it can only convince us that every difficulty, every detail, every day in our life, it can only convince us that every, all of these, everything in our life is going to work together for good if the good is us being conformed into the image of Christ. Do you see that? Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's like complete randomness, and it makes no sense at all unless the good in Romans 8.28 is us being conformed in the image of Jesus in Romans 8.29. Do you see that? And do you follow Paul's argument there? Do you see what he's saying? Why would he want to do that? Why is that such a big deal? Well, look at the final phrase in verse 29. In order that he, Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. It's an Old Testament phrase there that we understood to have preeminence, to be first place. It, so Jesus is glorified in our life. So that Jesus gets the, he gets preeminence. He gets, he's the firstborn among many brothers. He's, he's exalted. As we just sang, I exalt you. Why, why would God want to shape us into the image of Jesus? It's so that Jesus is exalted in and through our lives. 
And so the great verse that we cherish and that we treasure, we know that all things work together for good. Amen. They do. Every single difficulty that you go through in life, every conversation that you have, every, every betrayal that you experience, um, every, every chemo session that, that you're going to go through, every single difficulty, God works together for the good. And what is God's greatest good in all of our lives today? What's the greatest, the, the, the best thing that could happen in our lives today? I mean, I wonder if I asked you, like, <laughs> what would be the, the very best thing that could happen to you today? Well, it's not the lottery. Yeah, it, it, it's that our character would be shaped into the image of Jesus. That's right. And so, and so the, our value system kind of has to be sh- shaken up a, a good bit, right? Is, is, do we value, do we see us being molded into the image of Jesus as the good? All right. All right, so that's like a baseline, like, I just want to lay that as a baseline for us tonight. Again, we're going to be brief, but that's a baseline. It's really important that we come around and we understand that the good in Romans 8, 28 is us being molded into the image of Jesus. So we track in there. And, and, and then here's the promise. Here's the promise. God actively uses everything we experience to mold us into the image of Jesus. That's his purpose. That's his passion. That he predestined it before time. He was thinking about it before he made us. That he was going to exalt his son, Jesus. He was going to magnify his son, Jesus, by creating a people who would fall into sin, whom he would redeem by the blood of his son, and then shape into the character of Jesus. And then as we read the rest of Romans 8.28, he would glorify. But right now we're in that season of being sanctified, being molded into the image of Jesus, and every single day, God does not cease to shape our character. He doesn't. When we wake up in the morning, God is awake shaping our character. When we go to bed at night, God is awake shaping our character. He doesn't cease and he doesn't sleep. And that's his primary purpose in our lives today. It's shaping us, molding us in, into the image of Jesus. Well, that's great. But that's got to infiltrate our thinking in a way that it doesn't yet infiltrate our thinking. What, what am I talking about? Let's talk about how we pray. All right. So, in I have sat for years and years and years. I've sat in small groups, and it's come time for prayer requests, right? And so we'll go around the circle, and people will just share prayer requests. Uh, maybe you've been in a group where you share uh, lists of prayers, lists lists of of prayers. Um. And, and the, so let me, let me give you an example of some of the prayer requests that we come up with, okay? We're in a circle. Raise your hand. My Aunt Susie has bronchitis. And that's the extent of the request. That's all we say. You've probably heard it. You've said it. I've said it. Uncle, Uncle Alfred is having surgery on Tuesday. That's always... Okay, thank you. Next prayer request. We, we, we go through. Now, why, why is that prayer request like it, it's an incomplete prayer request, isn't it? See, when that prayer request is given, we all presume that we know what the person giving the prayer request is really asking for. Uncle Alfred's having surgery on, you know, Wednesday. Well, everybody in the room presumes we know what Jimmy is asking for Uncle Alfred. What, we, what is Jimmy asking for? He's asking for a smooth surgery and a quick recovery, right? That's why we're praying for Uncle Alfred. 
Well, if God's chief purpose in our life is to mold us into the image of Jesus, why do we presume that the prayer request for Uncle Alfred, who's having surgery on Wednesday, why do we presume that the prayer request is for a smooth surgery and a healthy recovery? I'm not trying to be insensitive or unpastoral or anything like that. I'm just, I'm, I, I'm just trying to, just trying to kind of lay, lay a lay a context for us to understand, like for this to really infiltrate our thinking, the church more than it does. Well, what else would he be asking for, Uncle Alfred? I mean, come on, he's having surgery. We want it to go well. We want him to get better, right? Well, what? How does the chief purpose of God in our lives to mold us into the image of Jesus to the glory of his son, how does that chief purpose infiltrate itself into a basic thing such as a prayer request? What do you, what do you mean? Well, um, we want to pray for Uncle Alfred that as he approaches surgery on Wednesday, that he'll continue to trust God with all of his heart. We want to pray for Uncle Alfred That as he goes into the hospital on Wednesday, he's a faithful and bold witness for Jesus. Uh, Do you see? see, We want to pray for Uncle Alfred that as he suffers, he won't grow bitter before God, but he'll increase in love and affection for God. Do you see see what what I'm getting at? We want to pray for Uncle Alfred that as he's experiencing pain in his recovery, he doesn't get irritable toward his family but he continues to speak in love and affection and that his pain doesn't drive him to grumble right do you, do you, do you see what i'm aunt gertrude has bronchitis that's where the prayer reco- that's where the prayer request stops right that's where it stops and everybody in the room presumes we're asking for prayer for Aunt Gertrude because she's got bronchitis because we want her to feel better. Not because her bronchitis prevents her from being a verbal witness to Jesus, right? Or, or whatever, uh, whatever else we could come around, right? Now, let me make, let me make just kind of like a, I, like I kind of drove that, I mean, it's a little bit of a provocative point there, right? Right, so like, what I'm not saying is that we shouldn't ask for smooth surgeries, Steve. I hope you have a smooth surgery, brother, and a quick recovery. I hope your cancer is gone. I am praying for God's healing on your body, head to toe, and all this family's praying for it. And God would have us pray for that, right? In 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 Philippians, rather uh, Peter, First Peter, it just turned there. I didn't take Bible drills as a kid, so you guys will probably beat me. The first Peter, listen to First Peter five, uh, verse six. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Yeah. So when we have prayer requests, we're just casting our anxieties on the Lord. He cares for us. We He's commanded us to cast our cares on Him, right? Yes. Psalm sixty-two, verse eight says, "Pour out your heart to the Lord." Right. I mean, that's an image of taking our burdens and just pouring them out, not, not pridefully, self-sustaining, so, you know, arrogantly holding on to our own burdens. I can do it on my own. But no, humbly pouring out our heart to God, right? And indeed, the, the text in First Peter, it says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. And then verse 7 is a participle ex- explaining in what manner are, are, we humble ourselves. 
casting all of our anxieties on him. And so casting our anxieties on the Lord is actually a, it's actually a means of humbling ourselves, right? So to not cast our anxieties on the Lord would be a posture of pride, right? So we want to pray that we have a smooth surgery and that we get over bronchitis and that my broken toe heals well and that, and that I lost my job. Did I get a job? Like we want to pray for God's provision there, right? We want to pray for those, we want to pray for those things, right? Uh, Pastor Ryan and Tanya just, just brought home this beautiful little girl, right? So they're over in another country and it's like we want to pray for Pastor Ryan and Tanya. They're stuck in, where were you guys? In the Congo. We're just stuck in the Congo. Well, we just leave the prayer request at that. Because everybody assumes, what do we want? Well, we just want them to get back. Right? We just want them to get back with their little girl. Well, isn't the chief purpose of God, their maker, to mold them into the image of Jesus in that moment? So, so it's right and it's good. We're commanded to, to cast our burdens on the Lord, right? I guarantee you, they were praying like mad and sending emails out and text messages of pray we can get out of here before, you know, it's like five days turned into 17, right? Yeah, we want to get back. And we also want to be molded in our character and be a witness for Jesus as we're experiencing this unexpected trial and difficulty. Do you see? And so when we, when we read through, we have these commands to cast our anxieties on the Lord, but then when we read through what Paul prays, bottom line, check this out. In, in every prayer request circle I've ever been in in my life, like 99.9% of them, <clears throat> the chief thing that the people of God are after is comfort, not their character. In every prayer, comfort, not character. Comfort, not character. Comfort, not character. Hello, we are the people of God that are going to be eternally comfortable. Right? Isn't that what we looked at today? Yes. So why are we obsessed with our current short-term comfort? It's coming. What should we be obsessed with? Madly, wildly obsessed with? God's chief purpose that he calls good. That he's already promised He's going to use everything in our life to mold us into the image of Jesus. And so in our prayer request, certainly let's, let's obey God. Let's cast our anxieties on the Lord. He cares for us. He cares about every burden we're carrying. He wants to hear them. He's commanded us to pour out our heart. He doesn't want you to hold any of it back. But we've got to balance that with understanding what God's chief purpose for our life is, our sanctification, us being molded into the image of Jesus. And then I think Paul's prayers in the scripture help us balance it, don't they? I mean, you don't have to turn there with me if you don't want to, but Ephesians 1, 15, for this reason, because I have heard uh, of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you what? What is he praying for them? A spirit of wisdom, of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what the hope to which he has called you. What are the, that, I mean, that's what we want when going into a, a difficult surgery, right? We might know the hope that he's, he's called us to, right? That we'll have an unshakable, unwavering confidence before we go under, right? That's one of the things we want to pray in addition to a smooth surgery and a quick recovery, right? That we might know what the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints are. Listen, Steve gets that. He testified to that, right? He knows 
the riches, the glorious riches for the inheritance for him in Christ. I mean, he just testified all afternoon to it, right? But we don't all know that. When facing difficulty, we're not all as energized and excited about trial. And so when we pray, that's, one of the, that's what Paul's praying for the church in Ephesus. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Turn over, if you're tracking with me, over to Ephesians. What does he pray for the, what does he, what does he pray for the church? Philippi. Verse 9, chapter 1. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. <laughs> I mean, it sounds a lot better than, man, I need to get over my broke toe, right? It's like, wow, this is amazing stuff he's praying there. And, and so from the day we heard of it, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance in the saints of the light. Now, I want you to, if you've got a pencil, I want you to just jot down those addresses. Because we're going to have a prayer time in just a minute, and I would love for many of you to turn to those texts and just pray those over the people here. Okay, so Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Colossians 1, verse 9 through 14. Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. And, and, and then the Psalms are filled with all kinds of biblical prayers, right? Biblical prayers of adoration. What do we also see in the Psalms, though? We see those heartfelt, gut-wrenching complaints to God, right? Where are you, God? I'm living for you, and everyone around me is succeeding, right? You see, you be, you see, we see a balance. We see a balance. So here's what, here's what doesn't need to happen, okay? Oftentimes in the church, we just have these massive pendulum swings, right? And so we see this trend, this unhealthy trend, this unhealthy development going over here. And so a preacher or a church, or somebody might write a book to address it or something like that. And it's going on over here. And so, man, we just, we just hone in on it. And we address the mess out of it and we talk about it. And then the pendulum swings all the way over here because we're trying to correct it. And it comes all the way over here. And then that's all we pray for. Okay. So using the example we're using right now on prayer requests, it would go from, man, it seems like our prayer requests are always about comfort, never about our character. It's, all, it's always about what's going to make us feel better, not what's going to shape us into the image of Jesus. So let's just eliminate praying for everything that would make us comfortable, right? Let's stop casting our cares on the Lord, and let's just start praying for only our character. That's not what needs to happen. That's not what I'm arguing for. That's not what I'm presenting to, your, to you for your consideration tonight. What I'm presenting to you for your consideration is let's grab that pendulum right in the middle and let's let our, our prayers ooze of compassion and burden bearing that the Holy Spirit who is called comforter will indeed comfort his people. That, that our God who is our provider will indeed provide for those who are looking for jobs, right? But then let's pray as we're without a job that we don't fail in trusting God, we continue to trust God, that we, that we continue to grow in love. I mean, that's what we see in Paul's prayers. He said, like, I pray that you would, 
that you would, be, you would increase in your love, like after he's already commended them for love. He said, I pray that you would increase in your love, right? So if there's sweet unity here at New Hope Fellowship, let's pray that we would increase in our unity, right? If, there's, if the church is, is marked with great holiness, let's pray that we would, we would increase in our holiness. Do you see, you see what's going on there? And so let's hold in balance when we're praying our needs and our, and our, what, we, what we're feeling we need to be comforted in along with what we know to be God's chief purpose in our life, our sanctification, us being molded into the image of Jesus. And let's let our biblical prayers give us a terminology and give us a voice and to help us in this effort. I don't know about you, but I just want to pray. It's like after that, it's like, Man, let's just stop preaching. Let's pray. It's time to pray. Like after an exhortation like that, let's pray. And let's hold the pendulum right there. Let's not be pastorally unsensitive to people hurting. You know, check this out. Sometimes in a ministry of prayer, sometimes in a ministry of prayer, people, like they need you to pray, not because they need the answer to your prayer, but they, sometimes people, they're hurting so bad. They're hurting so bad that they need you to come alongside them and help, and help carry them into the presence of God with your prayer. Like they don't even have the strength, they don't even have the faith, they don't even have what it takes to pray themselves. And so it's like they need you to help them move into the presence of God through your prayer more than they even need the answer to your prayer. They just need the presence of God. It's a ministry of prayer. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? And so like let's not, don't hear me saying, God, you know, God's chief purpose is mold us into the image of Jesus. And so, you know, anytime, you know, somebody's like crying in your small group and you're like, you know, God wants to use this to mold you into the image of Jesus, right? I mean, not in that moment, but, but maybe eventually somehow, right? After they're comforted and they're prayed for and the burden is born, you can rejoice in the hope that God does not waste a day of suffering. He doesn't waste it. God does not waste a day of pain. How do we know that? In Romans 8, 28, Paul wrote, and we know all things work together for good. What's the good? Us being molded into the image of Jesus. Why? Can Jesus really be glorified in my life? You ever wondered that? Like I sing it all the time. I loved what Pastor Ryan started the first session with. Christians don't tell lies, they sing them, right? They just saying, I exalt you, I exalt you. But like, are you really exalted in my life? He is when our character is molded into the image of Jesus. That's what Paul's progression is. Um, so our worship team's going to come and they're going to just kind of help, um, just kind of help carry us through this time a little bit. We'll probably sing a song or two during this time. And why don't we do that? Why don't we go ahead and sing one song just to, just to help us let this song shepherd us into the presence of God. But here's, hey guys, here's what I want us to do. I know we're tired, but if we can pray when our, if we can pray when we're tired, man, we're training ourselves to be really great prayers when we're full of energy, Right? So let's just take a short time. Like, we're not going to be here all night. We're not going to pray all night long unless the Holy Spirit just arrests us and says, pray all night, right? That's always an option for God to do that, right? But we're not going to pray all night. But let's pray fervently for a few minutes. Can we do that? Can we go for it with all our heart? And, and they're, they're going to lead us in a song. And, and it's just open. I, I'm, I'm going to lead us a little bit, but it's open. I want you to cry out to God. I want you to cry out to him. Don't worry if one of you start praying and you cut somebody else off. That's okay. But let's pray and let's bear burdens. And if you want to come around somebody else that you know is having a difficult time, come around and pray for them.
Just come around and let's have a ministry of prayer so you can move around in this space and pray one-on-one with somebody if you need to. But let's just, let's really come together and exalt the Lord. And let's let the messages we've heard this weekend to shape our prayers. Let's pray for the burdens that we're bearing and the pains we're experiencing. Let's pray for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray for job provision and smooth surgeries. And let's pray for our character to be molded into the image of Jesus. Let's pray that as we're suffering, that we don't forsake Jesus, that we continue to exalt Him. Our worship team, why don't you guys lead us to a chorus and I'll step back in and we'll pray.